Serious question. Has your cat reached its daily step count? Yes, this week on Download This Show, the fascinating world of fitness trackers for pets. There's more reasons for it than you might think. Also on the show, across the world, more than half of girls online have experienced some form of harassment or abuse. But can it be tackled by a chatbot, an automated piece of technology to share advice on how to deal with it? And Twitter have unleashed their latest new feature and in a surprise to precisely no one, lots of people are complaining. What is it? And are they really right to be complaining? Let's find out. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is another episode of Download This Show, and we are joined by technology writer, reporter, and the breakfast presenter for ABC Western Plains, Nikili. Welcome back. Lovely to be here. And she is a psychologist. She's a cyber psychologist, cyber psychology researcher. I knew when I said it out loud, <laughs> it would get me. Jocelyn Brewer, welcome back to Download This Show. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to walk across a few things in the show, but I do want to start with something very strange has happened to Twitter in the last couple of days. What is it? It's called a fleet, um, and it's a, another in a long line of Twitter features that nobody asked for and no one knows what to do with, <laughs> I think. Uh, look, the basis of it is uh, a bit like a, a story on Facebook or Instagram. It's a tweet that disappears 24 hours later, theoretically. I, I can see the appeal, the idea of tweeting without consequence, no one going back over 12 years of things you've said to bring it out later on if, if you've got yourself in trouble. Mm. But um, 24 hours, disappearing tweet. People have been seeing it appear at the top of the app. Um, and people are not enjoying it, as far as I can tell. <laughs> okay, I think you're being very generous with it. It is 100% a rip-off of Instagram stories, which was a rip-off of Snapchat, Jocelyn. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, no, you're completely correct. I mean, I think they should have just called it brain fart, though, because it seems <laughs> like, you know, um, we were already kind of just tweeting bits and pieces out. It was kind of like that internal part of your brain, and now we have an even kind of less permanent aspect of that on Twitter, and we can't do photos and oh, man, why couldn't they just give us the ability to correct typos instead? That's the only thing I think that Twitter actually needs to be doing right now. So yeah. here's the thing, the part of this I find confusing, right? People are used to using Instagram stories or even mm -hmm. Facebook stories, which is remarkably mm -hmm. similar to. Why has there been a negative reaction to literally the same functional piece of technology on Twitter, Jocelyn? Like, why do you think there's been that reaction? Look, personally, I think that many people use Twitter in a completely different way to, to why they use the other platforms. And so for me, it is much more of an academic space, I guess, and, and a workspace. It's not sort of as personal and definitely not as visual. Um, I kind of understand what they're trying to do here because it is all about kind of not having the pressure on things being there forever and, and being trawled through and that potentially being used to ruin your life if you did say them at a time where maybe you, you've changed your opinions and things like that. But oh, I don't know. I think Twitter's really busy and we kind of go there for different things. So let's just kind of yeah, not have so much noise. I agree. We use these social media spaces in very different ways. I don't think we want a homogenised experience across all mm. of them. I mean, for mm. me, Twitter is mostly about sort of, you know, pithy, uh, maybe a little mean occasionally, but I get very mm. entertained by it. Facebook's about being earnest and, and I don't really use a lot of Instagram, to be perfectly honest, these mm. days. I just don't understand 
why Twitter thought this was necessary when there are so many other options about this. And I, I think you and I have had chats about this in, in previous incarnations. Like, I think when Instagram brought out stories, we were like, well, hang on, hasn't Snapchat got this covered? We do this every mm-hmm. single time. Is are this- they trying to get young people to kind of use it? Is that kind of one of the things that you know, is maybe missing from Twitter because, like, there's not the same um, younger demographic who are doing the TikToks or the all that kind of jazz. <laughs> I'm just trying I'm to grappling. work out if this is the sort of thing where, like, we whinge about it now, but in four months' time we're all just using it because I vaguely remember having the same mm. reaction to Instagram stories. <laughs> stories. We did. But do you also remember the reaction when Twitter changed a favourite to a heart? Yes. There was and a it was... huge backlash against that, a huge one. I feel like the fault might be with us now and not Twitter. <laughs> I'd have never thought I would say that, but I think maybe we are just whinges. I think people get really funny about changing these spaces. Like, remember when you used to, the only status update on Facebook you could do was like framed in Jocelyn is mm. oh, or whatever. Yeah, and right. we really freaked out when that changed. And every time there's a, a reformulation of the, the layout, so Instagram, the layout at the moment, I can't find my notifications because they've moved to the top. Um, and so we do take some time, I guess, to adjust to that. And we get, because I think we're using it so often, we're on autopilot when we go looking for these things, anything new feels like, oh my gosh, who's been in my space sometimes? Why is that that we have that reaction? Like, what, what, like I'm not necessarily asking you to, to do a, you know, a cycle. <laughs> logical assessment of all of the users of Twitter here. But but what is that 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 sort of that is there a comfortability that we get with user interfaces that is hard to break, Jocelyn? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think we get used to knowing where things are and it feels like the furniture is being rearranged when we have no control over it. Like we walk into our lounge room and, oh, the TV is on a different wall. So um, obviously there's reasons why they do that so that we're not getting too comfortable and we are kind of having to rediscover and use more attention to um, be, become more engaged again. Um, so there's some cognitive um load, I guess, that goes into, to, oh, where is this gone? And, and exploring it and then getting used to it. So it's just to kind of shake us up and, and rattle us back into paying a bit more attention to that particular platform, I think. We don't tend to like change, but then we also tend to forget that it happened sort of after we've adjusted mm. to it. Um, mm. I'd go back to when people threatened to quit, quit Instagram en masse because they changed the way the gradient worked in their logo. Do you remember that? Believe it or not, I have uh, forgotten this incredibly mm. huge dramatic <laughs> turn of events. It was somehow. a dramatic turn of events at the time. Look, I will say this. In classic Twitter style, they haven't made this feature work particularly well. We've already seen a workaround that let people look at these 24-hour disappearing fleets well after that 24 hours had expired. And mm. I know Twitter are fixing that now, but um, it does seem to have been rushed, and I find that really curious. In the same week, Instagram also rolled out a, a new version of its app with a pretty significant change to its layout. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't, and, and it could be I'm just following different people, but I don't feel like the backlash has been as dramatic, even though I think they've actually changed quite a great deal to Instagram. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've noticed is when I hover my finger over different parts of Instagram, a little pop-up will say, hey, this button isn't where it used to be. It's now up there. Are there things you can do, Jocelyn, in a redesign particularly something that people use so instinctively, their their fingers know to go to a certain part of the screen. Are there things you can do that help make that transition feel less jarring for people? You can warn them that it's coming rather than 
you know, it just kind of popping up. And I think um, even with the business suite that Facebook is using, there has been that transition and there is, do you want to use the old kind of interface or do you want the new? So there's kind of this choice point before they throw you into the deep end. So one is just preparing the brain for, for the fact that change is coming and then absolutely kind of guiding you to where things might be um, and, and, and I guess giving you a little tutorial when you do, you know, update your app or whatever to actually show you where things have moved to and kind of, yeah, usher you into that new space. Generally, they don't move anything. I mean, it's so intuitive. Like the, you know, the little icons are still the little icons. You just have to scan a little bit harder to find them. So, again, it's getting you to pay that attention and re reattune, I guess, your habits to that new um, interface. Interface is interesting because interface is separate to features again. And I, I think we're more resistant to additional features maybe than we mm. are to an interface design. We'll initially get cranky, but if everything we're looking for is still there, we'll adjust to it quickly. Mm. Uh, a new feature, especially one unasked for, especially on a service where we have been asking for change and significant change mm. and not getting it, there's a frustration here. Um, there's always a sense that we're not being listened to as users. And I think that's what's really kind of brought people's ire up on this. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. We have psychologist Jocelyn Brewer joining us and Nick Healy, technology writer and breakfast presenter with ABC Western Plains. Mark Fidel is my name and it has been called an anti-harassment chatbot that's been designed by young people for young people. And I want to get into why it exists, but let's just start with what it is. Uh, Jocelyn, can you introduce me to, to Maru? What exactly is it? Maru is a chatbot which will help you deal with and, and I guess guide you through what to do if you're being abused or harassed online. So it works like many chatbots. Chat <laughs> it uses NLP, um, not neuro-linguistic programming, no, 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 natural language processing. So basically it, it kind of guesses and has learnt what kinds of questions that people might ask in this space and the way that they might frame them. And um, they kick off a conversation to help you actually navigate through what to do if you're experiencing all the different forms of what we in Australia, I guess, would commonly call cyber abuse. So the eSafety Commission kind of would, has a whole section for adult cyber abuse that includes things like like doxing or deep fakes and, and stuff like that. So it will it literally is a little not human thing <laughs> which will help you navigate that information to try and I guess, you know, get the help that you need when given that um, the research that Plan did around this was that huge numbers of women and girls are experiencing online harassment. Mm. So this, as you mentioned, does come from uh, the girls' rights organisation Plan International and mm -hmm. the technology collective Feminist Internet. Nick, if I was to, to open it up, just on a visual level, what, what does it look like? Because they've sort of designed it to, to quite actively avoid sort of gender stereotypes. It's been mm -hmm. quite clever in that regard, but how do I interact with it if I was the target audience for it? Look, it does look like a chat window and it's really quite fascinating to have a play with because it gives you options of how you want to respond, but they're very natural language, as mm. um, uh, Jocelyn was saying. Uh, so essentially you feel like you're engaging in a conversation. You're not typing your responses. You're choosing from a limited range mm. of responses. But um, it does feel like a fairly natural conversation in a chat-style window. 
Well, we know that young people especially have a preference for online communication. So something like Kids Helpline actually offer online chats and things like that because they're much more comfortable in that online space. And so I guess given that we're, we're really dealing with hundreds of thousands of people across the globe who potentially need this information, it's a really cost-effective and effective, I guess, way of looking at what are some of because it gathers information, I guess, as you go based on, well, what are you asking questions about and which kind of issue are you experiencing? So it's actually gathering data as it goes and then directing people to obviously the, you know, trusted sources of information. So I, I think it's effective and it feels that um, a gap to the degree that it can maybe help with some lower level experiences and then direct you on to the right um, actions to take. So your local, you know, police or what, you know, your e-safety commissioner, if, mm. if you're in Australia, for instance. So it's that intermediate step that's really helpful and it meets people in a space that they're really comfortable. That's my uh, just concern with it is how it is, I guess, marketed for want of a better term. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd want to make sure that people using it understand that it's it's providing information. It's not a counselling service, um, which I just yeah. worry when we hear the term chatbot, yeah. uh, given that there is such a rise of that great chat-based influ- uh, mm. interfaces when it comes mm-hmm. to counselling, that people do understand this is about information. Yeah, and I think it works pretty quickly. Like one of the first things it will say is, are you safe? And mm. you have an option to indicate, am I safe? No, I'm not safe, but I don't know what to do. So that then will open up, I guess, the next um, decision tree of what you what you want to answer as to where you are and, and then direct you in the right place. So, I mean, I guess I was conscious of interacting with it because I was like, well, I'm not being harassed, so I don't want to take up your time. And then I was like, oh, right, but you're not a person, you're a bot. It doesn't <laughs> matter, which is, is exactly, I guess, why it can be so effective is it doesn't, mm. you know, as long as the back end can manage lots of queries coming in, um, I'm not necessarily using up, you know, a counsellor at Kids Helpline's time by um, exploring that with a with an actual person, I guess. So see, see, that's exactly the thing I was fascinated by. How does it change? How does it change a person's interaction if they know, if they know that it's not real? Like, do you think it changes our behaviour? The sorts of questions you ask if you realise there's not another person on the other end of the line. Yeah, so the anonymity effect, I guess, is what drives a lot of the terrible behaviour online, but also is what allows people to be more authentic and take bigger risks with asking for what they need. So um, to some degree, I think, yeah, you might actually be more honest with something if you know that you're not necessarily being tracked um, or you're not face-to-face with another human, let alone just, you know, typing to another human. So, look, I think it works in different ways for different people based on what their concerns are. But, of course, with Maru, you have limited responses anyway. So you know, mm. there's a limit to how much difference you can be giving in those responses. That's, that's right. It's a very specific kind of area that mm. it's looking at. When you go outside of the, the, the bot itself and onto the website, there's an incredible amount of re, um, resources there and a lot more information and, and kind of help guides for all different kind of areas. Mm. It was designed, um, certainly not within Australia, it was designed with mm-hmm. uh, activists all around the world. How do they yeah. sort of accommodate for cultural differences in communications, Jocelyn? Oh, look, I think that they've just um, really explored um, from different, and I think this is built into the chatbot when you kind of indicate where you are, that there'll be some of those differences um, show up. Um, there's obviously a, an LBG. LBGTIQA um, element to that. Um, and there's, I guess, that collaborative nature of just, um, and, and the, the um, research itself, which has brought up exactly some of the, the challenges in those different regions. 
and, and, and the style, I guess, of, of abuse, whether it be kind of slut shaming or um, homophobia, all of that sort of stuff. Nick, are there other things like this around the world that, that already exist in, in other ways? Look, I've seen a lot of AI chatbots when it comes to mental health, and there's been some really mm-hmm. intriguing ones out there from Wobot to um, mm-hmm. Wiser, mm-hmm. Uh, a number of those. They tend to work... Um, uh, they're about short-term goal-oriented, um, and I think Jocelyn would talk more about mm-hmm. this, but uh, they tend to be more around cognitive, cognitive behavioural therapy, uh, mm-hmm. changing some of those quick behaviours. They're, they're really effective. There's been a lot of research done into just what AI is going to mean for the mental health space. And mm-hmm. I know a couple of years ago, 24 different AI chatbots were kind of uh, put under the microscope, and there was a lot of hope that in a couple of years we could see some really, really interesting things being done in that space. So, yeah, there's a lot of work being done here. Uh, yeah, Wobot's a really fantastic example. Um, again, you know, some of this goes a little way to deal with the intermediate issues that people might have and, and direct people through some of the basics of cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, and it sometimes can do a better job than maybe I would do face-to-face in therapy because it sticks to the script and it actually sticks to um, <laughs> exactly, you know, I'm a human, I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions. Whereas if we were to, when we manualise CBT and one of the reasons that, you know, some people would say it's not effective anymore or as effective as it was when it first came out is people go off the script a lot more. They introduce things like act therapy into it and and it's not a pure form that someone like Aaron Beck who created it actually would have delivered as a kind of, you know, standardised protocol. So um, we actually can track, um, you know, people who are using this and and measure the outcomes of things like Wobot really well um, because it is standardised. But then again, just like with Maru, we really want to be able to capture people who are maybe not benefiting from that. There's other comorbidities going on and other things that they actually then do need the, um, I guess, the nuances of of human observation and conversation to to pick up the the gaps and fill those gaps in in what support they need. Jocelyn, just for people listening to this that might not be familiar with that concept of uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, walk us through it. What exactly is it? CBT is one of the most well-recognised kind of modalities of therapy um, with the biggest evidence base. So the very basics of it is the three C's is what I generally share with most clients. The first one is to catch yourself having a negative thought or habit loop, the one that you can't get, you know, you're getting yourself stuck in, to check in with it. Is that thought true? Is there evidence for it? And is it helpful? Does it actually move you towards where you want to be? And then to finally change. So actually shift or flip the thought into a more positive iteration of what you're actually, you know, what your goal is or where you want to be. What sort of role do you think artificial intelligence can play in cognitive behavioural therapy in the future, if, given that it is sort of methodical mm-hmm. at its base? Well, we've had fantastic programs for many years from Mood Gym to I'm going to forget all the names of the ones that have come out from, you know, all the different organisations for several years. So usually they're web-based, the fact that they're moving more, I guess, to um, apps and that mobile aspect, again, just um, ports a lot of the ability to deliver the manualised, standardised kind of program into your phone. So um, I I guess for many people, it is overcoming that sense of I'm not really talking to a human and getting the language right. So really getting the empathy and the responses and even the kind of local language, the way that you would talk to a teen now versus even a couple of years ago, some of the the words that you'd use might be a little bit different. So um, it's all about kind of 
it, obviously with AI it needs to keep learning and it needs to keep adapting and it needs the people who, I guess, program it to keep adapting as well. So, Just specifically with tackling harassment, mm-hmm. Nick, are there other programs out there that have stood out to you as being particularly effective at, at dealing with or, or maybe creative in how they deal with online harassment? Look, nothing like this, and I think that's what's been really intriguing mm. about it. Um, DC is taking it to a, a level where it's approaching the people who are being targeted um, in a way that they can feel comfortable communicating, comfortable talking about what's upsetting them, as well as giving them access to the information they need. I don't think anything's done it quite as intriguingly as this. There, there was a little while ago, I don't know whether anyone um, caught the goodness bot. No, what's that? Uh, or the kindness bot. Goodness or kindness? I can't remember. <laughs> I'm going to have like a my own brain fart around this. Um, Monica Lewinsky had um, announced it, and it basically, if somebody had tweeted you something a bit mean, you tweeted the goodness bot or the kindness <laughs> bot, uh, and it would tweet you back the the kind of more positive version. So it would almost CBT wow. the the yucky the yucky tweet. <laughs> it's something worth having a look. I remember I used to feed it things for a while there on Twitter. <laughs> it's the opposite of feeding up. the troll. Yeah, yeah, you get the the kindness bot to do it for you. I love some of this innovation and and even on a more basic level, uh, I know this year a text-based counselling service really took off for people in regional and rural areas where maybe Mm. an app wasn't perfect, maybe certainly a web chat wasn't great, they weren't comfortable talking to someone face-to-face, but actually texting back and forth with a real person was an incredibly effective way for them. I I think we're, we're approaching these mental health concerns by targeting what a person is capable of dealing mm-hmm. with, capable of opening up to. And I think that's really essential and, and we've got to get as creative about that as possible. Download this show is the name of the program you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. You are listening to the voices of psychologist Jocelyn Brewer. She's the founder of Digital Nutrition and also Nick Healy, who is a technology writer and the host of Breakfast on ABC Western Plains. Mark Fennell is my name. And does your pet need a Fitbit? Uh, I feel like I know the answer to this one. Really stretching the word need there because that is a thing. That Nick Healy exists. They've existed for a long time, but I love these so much. I genuinely do. I really do. This one in particular, um, the series tag. These are the guys who did the Fitbit for cows. That of course. Was really I mean, who can that? forget the Fitbit who for cows? Who can forget the Fitbit for cows? <laughs> Look, I love the idea. Um, so we're talking about dogs, cats. It is monitoring their movements. But when it comes to an animal, we learn so much from their movement. So we can learn health, we can learn mood, but we can also learn where they're going during the day. Um, you can track them not just for health, but making sure they're staying within the area they're supposed to be. But also I think there's implications here for what wildlife could be getting damaged by how many times your pet's straying out of where it's supposed to be. More of these, a hundred of them, I think they're fantastic. Okay, so we are talking about something called the companion collar here. Nick's a cat person, so I'm just going to discount all of the things you just said. No, Jocelyn, do no. pets need a, a Fitbit? I literally thought this was about like urban dogs that were not getting enough walking and were trying to diagnose their depression or something. So such a psychologist. I'm sorry, it's so unbelievably on brand for you. I know. I was like, oh no, all those dogs in apartments not getting enough walks. Um, And then I was like, oh no, it's a five thousand dollar collar. So if you like run a mark and you get out of your backyard and you're harassing the local eye buy. 
what's the plural of ibis? Whatever. Yeah, I buy. Um, Definitely, I like, buy. As of now, sure. it is I buy. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, like, I'm I'm not a dog person. I'm looking at three chooks in my backyard, and they do not need this collar. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I just I don't get it. Right, I don't well, don't people already put their Fitbits on their dogs so they can like fake that they get lots of steps anyway? I thought not that was I've <laughs> ever heard. That's amazing. Before yeah, I get attacked by like... like the pet owners lobby or whatever, <laughs> Nick, mount the argument for why there is benefit to to tracking and quantifying the movement of one's pet. Well, okay. For $5,000. $5,000 is a lot. I'm not going to lie. There's many, many cheaper options out there, but they don't do quite necessarily what this one does. Look, there's a concern about lost pets. That trackability is really good. As I said before, if your pet's lying around all day, you could be looking at mood or health issues. And if you're away and not knowing what their behaviour is, that's really good to know. There is a health aspect, making sure they're getting enough movement as well. But I go back to, especially cats and dogs, if they are roaming well without the area they're supposed to be, that actually has implications Mm. for native wildlife. And I think this is really, really important. Now, I remember five years ago at CES, the the big tech show that they do in Las Vegas every year, there was so much pet tech on display that the website I was working for at the time put me on the pet technology beat and I had to run around and do nothing but talk about pet tech for the entire show. I was and it was crazy. (laughs) But some of the ones they had there were amazing. Motorola had designed a dog collar that included a camera and a speaker. So not only could you track where your dog was, see what it was seeing, you could issue voice commands to your dog over a distance. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, this stuff goes way deep, way deep. (laughs) Would you, uh, like, what technology, Jocelyn, do you think would benefit your relationship with your chickens out of anything (laughs) in the world? Well, I have chicken cam. Uh, I take videos of my chickens quite a lot because they're really mindful. They just kind of peck around. I mean, their brain's the size of a pea and they're quite hilarious. So, I mean, you know, we could we could put a GoPro on their head and just give a little, you know, mindful pecking um, to the world. Sorry, but... I just have to ask, what, what, what does a mindful chicken look like as distinct from a non-mindful chicken? <laughs> Well, my chickens are free range, I guess. So um, I mean, I've never really looked at caged caged chickens and gone, "Oh, you look different." But um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've put you going I weird. Feel like we've put this you is... on the spot. And you're like, I regret <laughs> doing this. I feel like we need a new phrase for this: strolling around like a chook with its head still on. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Of all the different kinds of pet technology, and I don't mean to mock pet technology because I do understand mm. all of the th- the arguments mm. you put up earlier. I thought were very mm. strong, Nick. Um, Please do not come after me, pet owners. Um, but in terms of all the, the pet tech that you did encounter, are there things, I mean, I know there was lots of outlandish stuff at CES that year, but were there things that you think actually, you know what, this should become more mainstream? Because right now everything you're describing makes it sound like there's a hell of a lot more technology for keeping track of your pets mm-hmm. than there is for, like, keeping track of my children. There is. Uh, significantly more because I think more people are comfortable strapping technology to their pets than they are their kids, to be perfectly honest. I mean, would you want to send your kids to school with a collar on? Uh, You're not allowed to in New South Wales. You're not allowed to send your kids with smartphones or even smartwatches. Yeah, but if I implant them with a microchip, who can say? Yeah, no, 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 it's fine. I've never Um, done that. I, I do genuinely think there is needs to be a better awareness for pet owners about what their pets are doing when they're not around. And I, I'll just, I know I'm harping on about it, but I'll go back. I'm a cat, well, I'm not a cat owner anymore, but I'm a cat lover. And 
I know that they are destructive beasts when mm. it comes to native wildlife. Cats should be indoors only. And if you are not going to be an indoor cat owner, then you need to have a really strong understanding of what your cat's behaviours are when you're not there to look after it, because that's part of the responsibility. And mm. I think something like this could really help. I just think maybe it's a bit cost ineffective to those oh, people wildly. who, if they're not really going to care about, you know, okay, don't spend $5,000 on your cat's collar, but there's different solutions like the good old bell or the thing that will <laughs> stop if your cat gets out, okay, your cat's out, then what? Um, you need a kind of warning system for all the native wildlife to go, okay, the cat's on the loose. So what kind of things can that then do to make sure that it's not having that impact? Because I agree, that's an important one. But the bell is stopping the cat from doing the damage. Something like this is giving you the understanding of what damage your cat what can do and allowing doing. you to yeah. make the right decisions. Yeah, right. Exactly. Sorry, yeah. I, I am listening. I was also just updating your bio on the uh, Download This Show website to just say Nick Healy, cat lover. Uh, Very massively just, just disappeared. Very massively a cat lover. So strange. We are out of time. Jocelyn Brewer, co-founder of Digital Nutrition Psychologist. Thank you so much for joining us back on Download This Show. Total pleasure. Thank you. I look forward to having you back again. And Nick Healy, technology writer. No, wait, sorry. Just cat lover. He has mm -hmm. no other qualifications. Cat lover, Nick Healy. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for coming back and doing Thank the show. Thank you. Uh, and with that, I shall leave you. Hey, uh, if you're enjoying the show, uh, please leave a review on whichever podcasting app. And a very big thank you to those of you uh, who have already downloaded our other show here at ABC, Stuff the British Style. I think you might have seen it. It's gone to number one on the ethereal Apple podcast chart. So for those of you that downloaded it, very big thank you to you as well. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Download This Show. We'll see you then. Bye.